Before we get into today's episode, we want to tell you that 30 for 30 podcast and the undefeated present the King of Crenshaw. This four-part series examines how Nipsey Hussle's life, death, and legacy impacted the sports world, particularly the NBA. Here, DeMar DeRozan, Isaiah Thomas, and DeMarcus Cousin, among others, explore the realities of life as a black man in America. Nipsey's dedication to South LA and his community and how Nipsey inspired millions. The marathon continues. The King of Crenshaw, listen now on SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 30 for 30 film series also presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconic teams in their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and much more. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app right now. Welcome to a new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, the busiest man in ESPN, Ryan Clark. <laughs> and Ryan Clark, boy, did we have a weekend last week in Las Vegas. The fights were fire. So right now, as we get ready to go into the show, we got to talk about whether or not it's time to put some respect man. on Alexander Volkanovsky's name. Got because to. that dude is an absolute savage. Then we'll get to some fan questions. We put out a tweet earlier in the week, and we were flooded with questions for you and I. We're going to get to some of those. And also, we got to tap in. Oh, we got to tap off. You know it. You know it. You have your own segment. (laughs) You have your own segment on the show. Now, we're going to tap in and tap out. But first, Ryan, last weekend, International Fight Week, biggest fight week of the year for the UFC. Mm -hmm. A lot of different uh, activities and, and, and things are going on. One of the biggest things outside of the fights was the UFC Hall of Fame ceremony. George St. Pierre was inducted last weekend as uh, the fighter in the modern wing. The most successful fighter that's ever been put into the Hall of Fame. But John Jones was also inducted for his fight, a great fight, with Alexander Gustafson. Possibly the greatest light heavyweight fight, title fight of all time. But unfortunately, in true John Jones fashion... It does not end the right way. Now, Dana said on multiple times, we can't get him into Vegas, not even for 12 hours. But what has been proven time and time again is that the trouble seems to follow Jones because he's gotten in trouble in Albuquerque. He's gotten in trouble in New York. He's gotten in trouble. But this time seems very serious. And Mark Ramundi just tweeted uh, very recently that more details are coming out. And John Jones allegedly pulled a woman's hair and headbutted a police car, causing damage to the vehicle, according to the arrest report coming from the Las Vegas Metro PD. There's more going to be talked about as the day goes on on ESPN because the details are flooding in. Mm -hmm. I know what I felt initially, Ryan, but as a guy that's watched John Jones do so many special things inside the octagon, what do you think of the latest run-in that he's had outside of the octagon? 
Well, I can be honest with you, DC. Uh, I don't have the personal relationship that you have with him. I don't have, you know, any animosity or any emotion as it pertains to John Jones. I'm a fan. And, I, and I've been a fan of John Jones. I, I, I was a fan of the Gustafsson fight. I was a fan of, of watching you two guys do battle in the octagon two times. I was a fan of watching him against Shogun, uh, against Shogun, against all these different people who I expected to beat John Jones or give John Jones a challenge. And so from that standpoint, I'm appreciative of what he's done for the UFC, what he's done for MMA. But when I think about who he is outside of the fight game, outside of the octagon, it actually only brings me sadness. It brings me sadness because it seems that he can't get out of his own way. And not only can't get out of his own way, he doesn't want to get out of his own way. He doesn't seem to be Mm -hmm. someone that is trying to get out of his own way. And when you have so much talent and when you've been blessed with so many opportunities, it's actually like spitting in the face of those who go to bat for you, of those who fight for you, of those who give you opportunity and opportunity after opportunity to be a good human. See, it's not about John Jones necessarily having to be the best of men or the perfect man. It's about John Jones doing things the right way in order to continue this career that truly would be one of the greatest of all time in UFC history. He's already already sullied who he is as a fighter. There are some people who are never going to accept John Jones as the greatest of all time, never going to see John Jones as anything but a cheater because of what we know about him. But now to add, whether it's domestic violence, now to add drug charges, to add all of these things that encompass or embody who John Jones is, it's truly sadness because his legacy will never be what it was supposed to be because of his behavior not because of his output or success in the octagon. You know, Ryan, as a guy that has a real personal uh, relationship with Jones in terms of uh, professional, I said some things back in 2017 before we fought the second time. I spoke to mistakes and how when you make mistakes, they change you. Jones obviously doesn't learn from the mistakes. But I also take a bit of responsibility because I think in a lot of uh, situations, Ryan, You learn when you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And I said on the countdown show before the fight, the way John Jones makes changes is by losing to me. I didn't beat him. Mm. Chael Sonnen didn't beat him. Right. So many people didn't beat him. We never forced him to look in the mirror and evaluate his behaviors outside because all the bad behavior still led to success. Right. And so why change it? Why change it? It's unfortunate. And I remember when I saw Jones and his family on the red carpet for the Hall of Fame. I'm so removed from that rivalry that I actually felt happy for him. Right. Because his little girls aren't they aren't babies no more. Yeah. They're growing up to be beautiful young women. Mm-hmm. And it looked like he, he had his family with him. He was going to be celebrated. And then he goes out and does something like that to remind me why I felt so strong about disliking him. Because... You start hearing these things, and it's it's awful. Mm-hmm. It's actually really awful. And as the details come to light, it's actually going to be much more terrifying to think of the emotions that's tied to this whole thing. Well, you know, DC— One thing that stood out to me when I saw Jones, when I saw him on the red carpet, though, uh, and I've got a lot of friends, Ryan, that are just sports fans. And you talk about the guys that party and live the hard life, the the John Jones, the Dennis Rodman, mm-hmm. uh Daryl Strawberry, mm-hmm. right? Those guys, as they age, they start to wear yeah. the hard life on their face. Yeah. 
And John Jones now, you can see the hard life because he looks a lot older than he really is. He's still a young man, but he looks really old uh, in his face. And so the hard life is showing. And one of my friends brought the Daryl Strawberry uh, uh, comparison to light. And I was thinking to myself, wow, they age. Like, they don't age like DC, you and I, Ryan. You know, you know what else, like, I'm not saying I look great. I'm not saying I look great, Ryan. You are handsome. They don't, they don't age like us because well, DC, they live the hard life, you know? Yeah, the, the, the other thing I think about is I haven't had that type of rivalry with anyone, but I was good friends with Antonio Brown when we played in Pittsburgh, and then we had a falling out. And obviously doing this job, I started to learn some things about him that I kept to myself because I didn't feel like they pertained to football. And we had some experiences that didn't pertain to Antonio Brown playing football at the time. And then when it, when it was an opportunity where those things collided, I spoke on them. And we had kind of this back and forth. And Antonio Brown was continuing to excel even though he had these certain behaviors. And then when those things collided with football, we saw his career kind of go down the drain. But then I will remember when he was outside of football, when the NFL and the rules and the regulations of the way that you have to be punished and legislated because you do certain things started to weigh on him. And then we'd see viral videos on Twitter or on social media and different things he was going through. To me, I never took pride in watching him go through that. Mm -mm. I never felt no. good that Antonio Brown's talents didn't get an opportunity to be shown in stadiums. And what I did was think to myself, I hope that he gets it right. And so to see him in the Super Bowl play extremely well, to see the way that he was playing this year, those things excited me for him because I remember the relationship I had with him, but also the relationship that he had with football that was different than who he was in life. But the NFL has things in place to get your mind right. See, DC, you felt like you needed to beat John Jones to teach him a lesson because and ultimately, UFC, there's Dana White, and the way he feels about fighters and the rules and regulations and the sanctions that are put on by the outside world that allows players to fight. But that's the only thing. As long as the rules say, OK, you're suspended for this time for doing this, then you get to come back. See, the NFL was different. So do you believe that the UFC needs to put something in place to legislate athletes, legislate fighters and the way that they behave away from the octagon? Or do you think that <laughs> what John Jones has done this time finally keeps him out of the octagon for good so maybe he does learn those life lessons that you feel like you had to teach him with your fist you know what makes Modelo special it's brewed for those with the fighting spirit and you wouldn't expect anything less from the official beer of the ufc Modelo was the underdog it came from humble beginnings and it never gave up it's brewed from premium hops to create the crisp pilsner style lager which set the standard for authentic mexican beer so the next time you're tuning into a UFC fight card, make sure you've got the beer that's always in your corner. Modelo, brewed for those with the fighting spirit. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You know what's crazy, RC, is that we have a code of conduct. Mm -hmm. We actually have a code of conduct in the UFC. Uh, it's a matter of enforcing it. And, um, I, you know, even at the height of our rivalry, when... We sat in front of Joe Rogan and we yelled, we went back and forth and we called each other names. We got very personal in regards to our relationship, our spouses and everything. I said, I don't want nothing life-threatening to happen to John Jones, regardless of what I feel about him professionally and personally. I never found pride and I still don't find joy 
in the fact that he is not able to get over whatever demons he is dealing with in this moment and he's dealt with for so long. But there is a code of conduct, right? It's about finding and sticking to that code of conduct. But but I think the biggest issue is, right? Rap sheet, man. Like there's been been in so many different things that have happened. But when you look at John Jones, the fighter, he's great. I mean, I've never been in there with anyone more talented. He's so smart. He can game plan. He can do things in a way that nobody else can. But it seems like outside, there is just no control. Comes from a great family. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, his dad absolutely. used to tell me stories about watching me wrestle whenever John was a kid. Um, it, it, it's on him, though, to get better. And I think Dana said something so smart and so, like, telling the other day. When he said... He's not even disappointed anymore. It becomes the expectation. Ryan, when bad behavior becomes the expectation, that should be the biggest wake-up call for you to get it together because there's no more disappointment. So you got to get it right. So if there's a message for me, I take no pride in Jones being where he is today, and he's in the stuff right now. What I say to that man is just get it right, man. You got to find a way, R.C., to just try to get it right because it ain't even about the fight career right now. He's obviously made a ton of money because he goes away for so long. It's about getting the life right so that you can be the role model you need to be for uh, those three young girls that he has, uh, those beautiful daughters that he's raising. Yeah, I think in you you mentioning that, mentioning that his daughters are becoming young women and his daughters are growing up and like I know how I feel about my girls. I know what I want my girls to feel about me. I want them to be proud of their father. I want them to think of when they are deciding on who they're going to spend their lives with, that the person they decide to spend their lives with has certain qualities that I have. And so mm. I couldn't imagine mm. I couldn't imagine having my daughter see me in any way but the way they see me now. And that's difficult. And John Jones is, is truly a star of the UFC. He's someone that brought, that brought eyeballs uh, to the octagon. He's someone that brought excitement and energy RC, into the fight game. RC, RC, he could have been, literally, he could have been Conor McGregor. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, been, I've been in places with him where, you know, even though him and I aren't cool, if I'm at the ESPYs and he's at the ESPYs, I'm getting recognized by people. But I'm not 6'4", yeah, right? Yeah, I don't have two brothers yeah. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He could have translated, man. This dude could have been a global super... Dude had a Nike deal when he was 24 years old right. in fighting when there there were no there Nike deals, deals right. in the UFC. So, DC... So, he, it was like he could have been a life-changing athlete. Right, he could have he he been... This is it away. Right, he could have been a life-changing athlete. He could have been an athlete that we were all excited about. But I think we were also excited this weekend about Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler and saying, you know what, this is the fight I want to see the most. Like, I was asked a question, and I was, you know, the, the championship fights. Obviously, you had Volk and Ortega. You had, you know, Shevchenko, and you had Murphy. But I said, you know, I want to see the OGs do battle. I mean, even during the fight, Conor <laughs> McGregor tweets about the OGs battle. And it was, and it was one of those things. And then we, we, we don't get the, the Diaz army. We don't, get, we don't get the antics. We don't get him calling Robbie Lawler forward so the fight continues to bring the fight to him. I mean, we didn't even get the, 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 the poke in the booty, the laying on the ground. None of the things that makes a Diaz fight fun did we get. We got, we got a shell 
of, of, of Nate Diaz. And as excited as I was to see him again in the octagon, it actually really even wasn't him. How do you view uh. what Diaz did this weekend, and do you think he should continue fighting? You know, RC, uh, to me, it, I mean, it was perfect. It was actually perfect. Nick went out there. He captivates an audience still like 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 nobody in the octagon. When he walked out, it was like the crowd went crazy for for Diaz. Robbie was in the octagon doing some weird footwork. Like Robbie was moving. Like I've never seen Robbie move before in the octagon. I reach over to Felder. I go, what is he doing? Felder goes, I don't know, but he is swift on his toes tonight. Right. And the fight starts. And they just go crazy. Nick is just throwing bang, 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 bang. Robbie's hitting it. Boom. Mm. You did you see that spinning kick that Nick threw to start the fight? Yeah. He threw the craziest spinning kick to start the fight. Well, of course but I saw it, DC, because I, I was sitting at the Arizona State game, supposed to be watching my kid, and I had my phone set up on a on a bottle because I had to make sure I oh saw my gosh. I had to make sure I saw what Nick Diaz was Look doing. At this guy. So absolutely. Look at this dude. Look at this dude. I didn't realize you did that. Hey, man. You actually said he's this dude. Wow, multitasking at its finest by my boy Ryan Clark <laughs> watching the fights and watching hey. his son. How can you even focus on anything outside of your kid playing football? Jordan Clark, by the way, starting free safety for the Arizona State. Uh, Sun Devils and does a fantastic job. Here's how you focus. You focus when the offense is on the field. When the defense is out there, oh. hey, when, the, when the defense is out there, you just look up and look down. You look up and look down, and you listen for DC's yeah, yeah, voice. Yeah. And DC's voice and all the screaming that he does that had me thinking that you weren't even going to be able to do the show this week usually lets me know Bro. what's going on. Do you think it was the layoff? Though, though DC that that had him to where with that type of pace because we were all texting on the group chat throughout you know throughout the first couple of rounds and everybody's like there's no way this pace keeps up there's no way that both of these guys could keep going like this and it seemed like Robbie Lawler still had it like Robbie Lawler still had some bounce to him do you think it was the layoff maybe mm -hmm. the lack of cardio which is why they had the fight at 185 maybe that had that made it to so that Diaz couldn't continue fighting and he kind of he kind of just wilted, DC. Like almost, he almost <laughs> tapped. And I know they're gonna. They, I can feel like hate I can. Me. <laughs> I can feel you. I can feel you. Kind of like trying to say something without having to actually say it. Yeah. But there was a point that was made, Ryan, and for a guy like you and me who's seen Nick Diaz at his best, strike force champ and everything, he always had uncertainty. But mm. he said something to Brett Komodo earlier in the week that I want to reference before I make my point, and this is what he told Brett. I didn't expect to feel the way I do at 38. I didn't expect for things to come flying at me like they did as soon as this, um, the idea of me fighting even came into play. Just leading up, like the way that people, everything just rushed me, you know, and this fight is taking a lot more out of me. But I mean, how I feel today is great. If I feel on fight day, like how I do today, I'm gonna, we're gonna see, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do really well, but, you know, I really, to be honest with you, I really don't want to do this. And, and this was what I'm referring to. He said, if he feels like he feels today, on Saturday, he'll do really well. But if I'm being honest, I don't really want to do this. Now, you go back to Nick back in the day, and Nick always had 
that conflict of whether or not he wanted to fight or if he didn't want to fight. But when that octagon door closed, he was always Nick Diaz. He was always forward pressure, in phenomenal shape, and he would break his opponents down. This, to me, was the first time that all those questions that are in his head showed itself on fight night. Mm. And it showed itself in a way that he fought he was nervous, right? I, I believe that's why he threw so much. He, I can almost feel his energy. When I was in the octagon with him afterwards, I can feel that energy of almost relief that it was over when I was talking to Nick Diaz. Mm. But Nick Diaz is going to be judged uh, very harshly for doing what he did on Saturday. When the ref told him, get up, and he's like, nah, I'm good. Fight's over. I, I kind of take a different view of it. Remember, this is Nick Diaz who threw in the towel when his brother was getting beat by Josh Thompson. Yeah. This is Nick Diaz as a veteran of the game who understood this is not going my way. So he pulled the plug. I don't think Nick should be judged as a quitter. I think Nick should be judged as a person that just knew, hey, this is not for me right now. Do I think he's done? No. I think that with the right motivations, Nick Diaz can still go fight. And he can still be fun. And that's what I spoke to him about inside the octagon, how he felt. I told him how fun it was to see him in there and the, the, the pace and the pressure and how great a fight it was because that's how I felt. Right. And I know I think I was speaking from the, the, the viewpoint of the whole mm -hmm. because it still felt like an experience. Sure, we didn't see the guy that broke down BJ Penn. Right. Uh, sure, we didn't see the guy that did what he did against Paul Daly way back in the day. But we saw a fun Nick Diaz, and I truly believe that it speaks volumes to know. Uh, Ryan, I was not mad when Deontay Wilder's corner stopped the fight against Tyson Fury. Right. Their fighter was whipped. They gave him a chance to fight another day. And I think Nick Diaz did exactly that on Saturday night. Yeah, like, I don't fight, right? I ain't, I, like, I'm not letting people punch me in my face for a living. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not letting, like, I don't know how you guys do that. And to see Nick Diaz come out and, and fight in that way and have that type of pace and, and stand in front of Robbie Lawler. Like, all those things were, were, were exciting to me. And, and we go into the third round, and, and I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and my kids, my, my girls are laughing at me. They're like, Pop, like, sit back. We can't see the field. And I was like, well, you need to stand up. Like, I got you all the suite. There's a lot of room in here. Leave me the hell alone. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, and we're testing about it. And then he's on the ground. Robbie Lawler walks away, and I was like, dang. Like, he really, like, this is it. And it kind of took me back to when I retired. See, I didn't retire on TV at the Combine when everybody else saw it, when it's me and Susie Colbert and we giving high fives because I know I got a TV deal now. Like, that wasn't when I retired. I retired in November. Uh, game, I start the season off in year 13. I start the season off great, balling, flying around. Hurt my ankle on Monday night. I get it checked out. They say, you know, you got some bone spurs, you got some ligaments, this and this. You need to have surgery. And they were like, if you have surgery, you'll be good in such and such months. And I was like, oh, I'm not having surgery to play football no more. And then I remember every yeah. Saturday, every Saturday when the barber would come over, I would text Jordan. I would say, Jordan, the barber's pulling up. Go open the door for him because I knew how long it would take me to get down the steps. And this was Saturday, and we would oh. play on Sunday. And so I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. I had just finished treatment. It was a Tuesday night. My wife walks down the stairs, and I say, I say babe, this is it. I said, I don't have no more. I said, I said, what it is taking me to get ready to play a football game is not worth what I get out of it. And when I watched, when, when I watched Diaz 
sitting on the mat in the octagon, my thought was, mm-hmm. I don't, and now you listen to what he said before, this fight was hard, right? The preparing for it, it took a lot out of me. I don't necessarily, like I don't really want to do that. And when I hear those things, I think back to not sitting on the mat in the octagon, but sitting on my couch. Sitting on my couch and thinking on a Monday, golly, I got to do all this stuff to get ready to play a game Sunday in which they're going to have to shoot me in my ankle in order for me to play in. And then no matter how well I play, it's not going to be enough for me to feel like doing that junk all the way over again to play the next Sunday is worth it. Do you mm-hmm. think here yeah. that Diaz still wants to fight, though, DC? I think he wants to, you know, but, you know, you referred to I don't get enough out of it for what I'm putting into it. Nick made the same reference last week. Wow. He said, I hate this sport for all that I've given it mm-hmm. and all that it's taken from me. Yeah. And I don't feel like I get as much in return. Right? Like, he said that. I, it's so it's almost eerie to hear you say that in your house you felt the same thing. Like, you just know. Mm-hmm. You know when it's time. I knew when it was time. I knew when I wasn't myself anymore. Right. But I don't believe that Nick's done yet. I really don't believe that he wants to be done with fighting. He's a uh, he's a fighter, man. And I just believe that the more he can do it, the more comfortable he will be getting back inside the octagon. He's 38 years old, right? Mm-hmm. At 39, I had the most successful the successful year of my career. And I believe that Nick Diaz has a lot of the same abilities. And Ryan, after a fight card like UFC 266, there's a ton of interest from everywhere. So my man, Corporate Jake, he's going <laughs> to become a Jake. part of our team here on DC and RC. <laughs> he joined us again with the first fan questions. Corporate Jake, take it away. All right, at Fights Combat, ask DCRC, what will be Nick Diaz's future in UFC after UFC 266 loss? I think there are a lot of fun fights for Nick Diaz. I think there are still fights out there. I thought this was great matchmaking, right? Mm -hmm. Because he didn't go out there and fight one of the absolute killers in the division. Right. He went out there and fought a guy that's up in age, a guy that is on his way out. There are still fights like that for Nick Diaz. And we will always tune in, especially if he could do it at two weight classes. Right. If he can do it at 185 and 170. So I think we'll see him again. And I do believe that if Nick can get a bit more active, Nick will be more successful inside the octagon because time spent in a lot of instances equals to you being more comfortable and successful every time you step outside of yourself and into the octagon for the UFC. For me, I think... Diaz, uh, Nick Diaz has to go on like the BMF tour, you know, it's not not necessarily because because he's not going to be in a situation where he's fighting for championships. I I don't necessarily know if you want uh, Nick Diaz to be your champion right now because you don't know how long he's going to stick around and it could be he wins the fight and he's like, oh, you know what, I'm done with it. But when you think about guys like like Masvidal at 170. You think about guys like like Kobe Covington, if he doesn't become the champion. These are all fights that, even though these dudes are, are ranked highly and have fought for championships, we tune in to see Nick Diaz fight. We we tune in to see mm-hmm. if he can bring some of, you know, they got, they got a song, it's like, he, she want that old thing back. See if he can bring that old <laughs> thing back just for a night. Right, like, like that would be something mm-hmm. that that we would watch, and I think Dana did a great job uh, with Robbie and giving him a fight that we'd seen before, giving him a guy that has mm-hmm. continued to stay active, that was once uh, the champion of the UFC. They they had history; it was nostalgia. They had all those things. I think now we got to understand. You know what? Three rounds may be enough. 
three rounds of, of mm-hmm. activity against somebody else who we think is a bad man. Not necessarily a champion, mm-hmm. but a bad man is mm-hmm. something that we will always tune in to watch Nick Diaz do. Yeah, absolutely. But for me, it's it's guys like this. Nico Price, Cowboy Cerrone, yeah. Mike Perry. Like those types of guys, for me, I'm tuning in to watch Nick fight every single time. Because if you're Nick Diaz and you're fighting guys like that, guys that are good fighters but not in the elite of the elite in the division, mm-hmm. you, you start to feel that confidence and, and you go out there and you compete against those guys. And, and listen, you can lose to those guys still. Yeah. But every time you match them up, everybody watching would feel like Nick has a chance a in order to win. That's what you're now, saying. If, if I don't think about Nick, if I know anything about Nick and Nate Diaz and the whole Nick, I know that regardless of the outcome, those guys went out and had a really good time. Yeah. And I know one thing that they had what was that? while having that good time. Modelo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Modelo. And, right, you know what else? You know what makes Modelo special? It's brewed for those with the fighting spirit. And you wouldn't expect anything less from the official beer of the UFC. Modelo was the underdog. It came from humble beginnings and it never gave up. It's brewed from premium hops to create the crisp Pilsner-style lager would set the standard for authentic Mexican beer. So the next time you're tuning into a UFC fight card, make sure you've got the beer that's always in your corner. Modelo, brewed for those with the fighting spirit. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Our good friends at Modelo always got our back. And Ryan, you know UFC 266 was an absolute monster. Monster. Two title fights. We spoke about Nick Diaz. We spoke about... The whole John Jones fiasco, and in classic fashion, in regards to this man, third third topic, he gets to be the third topic on the show, right? Which is so unfair, but unfortunate. But Alexander Volkanovsky, there's one question: Is it time to put some respect on that man's name, Ryan? After hey, what he did on Saturday, Bruh, Like Birdman said when he was on radio, <laughs> put some respect on my name, and not with a T. C-K-R-E-S-P-E-C-K. When, so yes. I'm, I'm watching the fight, and I feel like he's dominating. I, I, I truly did. I, I'm watching it, and I'm saying, man, Volk is just on his feet. I thought he was quicker than Ortega. I thought he was more powerful than Ortega. And then all of a sudden, the third round, he drops to the mat, and he's in a mounted guillotine, and he's turning purple. <laughs> now, also, too, this is yeah. a grown adult man that is one of the toughest humans in the world. Rugby player, fought, fought at higher weights, has worked his way to be champion, mm-hmm. and his feet are wiggling. Like the, 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 the guillotine is in so tight, he's trying to find any way to get out of it. And he does. And not only does he get out of it, DC, but when, when he gets out of it, he, he gets an opportunity to, to get into, into guard, and he's beating on Brian Ortega. And then Ortega gets him into another submission hole, and he gets out of that as well, <laughs> and he finishes the round with ground and pound. I mean, even enough to, to stand up over. and then leap back down. I was like, and I, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown. Nothing's happening in the Arizona State game, but people think something is happening. They're looking <laughs> at me like I'm stupid, and I'm like, relax. I, y'all don't have what I have. Like, I got ESPN+. Plus. They looked out for me because I got a show. And so I'm fired up watching this. <laughs> and truly, during, during the fight, I tweet, and right after I tweet, I have to give Alexander Volkanovsky more respect. 
So many times I was focusing on the second decision against Max Holloway and being a huge Max Holloway fan that I wasn't thinking about this man, at least at the time, had 19 straight wins. That this man at the time had fought Max Holloway and beaten him twice. I just wasn't giving him that respect. But to watch what he went out and did Saturday from a skill standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, was absolutely phenomenal. And he truly is the champ. And I need to, and everybody else needs to, if they haven't already, start speaking about him with more reverence to what his career is and to who he is as a fighter right now. Ryan, watching Alexander Volkanovsky on Saturday and in the build-up to the fight, you kind of had this idea that this dude was about to do something special. All week, you could sense it. Mm -hmm. He was so loose and so happy. This dude was in some shape. Dude didn't Man, look up at the yeah. clock, Ryan, until 25 seconds left in the fifth round after the pace that they fought. Third round for me is the absolute best round of any championship fight I've ever seen in my life. From the, the, the mounted guillotine to the triangle choke yeah. to just about finishing Brian Ortega yeah. in the third round. It was unbelievable to witness. He, he, he is so skilled technically. Mm -hmm. He is so smart, and he makes adjustments on the fly like no one I've ever seen before. Now, when you're sitting at the commentary table and you're talking about the fight, and while you're giving Volkanovsky his flowers, the story becomes how his opponent is surviving. Yeah. That tells you how dominant that you are. There is no compliment higher to a champion that the best someone can do is survive and be tough and durable. Brian Ortega didn't give up on himself. No, he kept trying, not. but he just didn't have anything for Alexander Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky, 20 wins in a row now. Hey, not many guys start their UFC careers 10 and 0. Anderson Silva did it. Yep. Hoyce Gracie did it. Habib Nurmagomedov did it. Uh, very few people do that. This guy joins that list. And it's time to respect Alexander Volkanovsky for who he is. And I'm telling you, man, I saw him at the Raider game the other day. And he was holding the belt, and he was drinking the shoey, and it, it, it put a big smile on my face, right? Because it seems like he's finally going to get the appreciation that he so rightly deserves. And not only is he a tough guy and a good fighter, he's like, Max Holloway, you don't even have to fight again. Yeah. I'll fight you. Whatever. If people have questions, then let's do it. This dude, if, if they tell him it'll be Giga Chikadze, who's won seven in a row, he'll say, let's do it. Mm -hmm. He's a fighter, man. He's a fighter's fighter, and he showed that. But on the other side, now you have Brian Ortega, who has now fought for the belt twice. Mm -hmm. And in those title fights, he gets beat up, man. T said he's so tough that he gets beat up. Now, you look at these strikes, right? He's minus 306 in terms of what's landed against him and what he has landed in two championship title fights. I understand Max Holloway. And, and Alexander Volkanovsky are different. They're the elite of the elite. But you said something on Saturday that rung so true, at least today, in regards to Brian Ortega. Because in those moments where he had the chance to overcome a champion, mm -hmm. he has been set back and set back in a very dominant way. So what was it that you texted the group that in this moment right now is absolutely true? about T-City. I think, I think T-City is one of the very best 145 pounders in the world. But I believe he's 
the top of the second tier. I believe he's right below the championship rung. And what I mean about that is, is he can he can do the things to the, the beat the Korean zombie and do the things that it takes to get the shot at the belt. But when you watch him in those championship bouts, there, there, there was no comparison between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. When, when I got this job, as a matter of fact, when, when, when I got this job and my son was home right before he came back to school, he's a huge Max Holloway fan as I am. And we were talking about certain fights and I was like, Jordan, you have to go watch Max Holloway against Brian Ortega. I was like, that, 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 was, that was some of the best striking, some of the most dominant striking I've ever seen from one fighter over someone who was such a high contender. And then the same thing when I'm watching Ortega and Volk this weekend, I'm watching it and I'm seeing him battle. I'm seeing him fight. I'm seeing him do whatever it takes to stay alive inside the octagon. And, and in the third round, truly, when he gets the submission holds, both of them like, oh, my gosh, he's going to he, he's going to pull this out. It was it was almost and it wasn't to the fifth round. It almost seemed to me, even though Chael and Anderson in that first fight was all about the ground game and all about control. If mm -hmm. Brian Ortega pulls that off to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he was being beat this entire time, and he pulls off this crazy submission. Mm -hmm. He's the champ now. That was how I felt about it. But then when the fight goes the last two rounds, you see it again. He was outclassed. And being outclassed but by a champion. But in the fifth round, though, hey, but in the fifth round, R.C., in the fifth round, he actually fought his best round, which was yeah. so crazy. Because I thought, I thought the fourth round, yeah, I thought the fourth round was – a complete wipeout, and mm -hmm. I didn't even think he wanted to go back out there. But in the fifth round, he showed who Brian Ortega is yeah. and how tough and durable he is, and that's why he always makes the final belt. But, even, and as you said, Brian Ortega is, or has proven to be, a rung beneath the championship-level fighters. And guess what, guys? There's nothing wrong with that. Heck no. You're the third-best fighter in the world at 145 pounds. There's nothing wrong with that. It, but but when Charles Oliveira got his chance, he yeah, won. Right. So Charles Oliveira showed that he has that championship level, uh, you know, to grasp it. Yeah. Brian hasn't shown that to this point. But, hey, there is nothing wrong with being number three of thousands <laughs> in the world not. fighting at 145 pounds. Hey, absolutely not. And you know, you know what happens is, you know, you win that fight and you become a star. And then sometimes it's about getting your opportunity. And so we've now given Jake the opportunity to take over our show so many times. He oh. keeps getting in my ear saying, toss to the question, RC. He said, let's go, to, let's go. Talk to the question. It's time for me to talk. So again, Corporate Jake, man, it's your show. We're just here, man, to do what you tell us. Slug tweets. SDCRC after this weekend's card, how would you both like the featherweight division to play out? You, you know, you go? if Max Holloway was if Max Holloway was free RC, I would just say match match him and Volkanovski right now. But he's been matched up with Yair Rodriguez, yep. so now you got to kind of wait to see what happens. Volko said that Volkanovski said that he's willing to fight him right away, and if Max wasn't scheduled, maybe we get that third fight. But then when you start to look down the featherweight ranking, sorry, you get some of the more talented guys that want a very stacked division, right? You got Yair Rodriguez. You got Max. You got Giga Chikadze. Giga Chikadze is a guy who has won seven fights in a row, and he's really getting close to being a true contender in this weight class. And I believe that it's going to be timing because if Volkanovski wants to fight again relatively quick, you may see a guy like that getting that title shot because he's been on such a long win streak. 
But if he's willing to wait and Max Holloway gets through Yair Rodriguez, which is very difficult, you might you'll get that third fight, which will deliver as the first two did. But if you could get the job done, now you got a brand new contender looking to challenge the champion Alexander Volkanovsky. It is for me personally, I would have done Chikadze versus Yair and Max versus Volkanovsky. But Sean Shelby's the best matchmaker in the game, and I'm sure that he's got the plan in place in order to get the division going forward. Yeah, I mean, you want to get the division going forward, and I think everybody would be signed up to see Volk and Max go at it again. I mean, I'd sign up for it 10 more times if we got the opportunity, no matter who won, because we understand the action. We understand how competitive it's going to be. We understand the skill that's going to be shown. But DC, a guy like Max is taking a fight against Jair Rodriguez, who's a very good fighter. Right, a dude who's 13 to two, or somebody who's ranked very highly. I believe that Ortega is not Ortega is wed, was wedged between those two guys in the rankings coming into mm-hmm. this weekend. And so now you take this fight, and you know the UFC DC. This this isn't boxing, right? Where where a guy like Canelo or a guy like Mayweather, because they're so skilled, because they're so good, can find ways to string together all these wins. You can lose on any given fight mm-hmm. night. We saw Anthony you Joshua. Yeah, we saw Anthony Joshua yeah, take a fight and lose. Is this a mistake for Max? He just lost to Ulchik. We just saw it. I mean, we literally just saw this same exact situation play out last week with Anthony Joshua fighting. I can't remember the kid's name, like Ulchik or Olzik or whatever his name is, the Russian kid, Dagestani, Psychabibanem. He went in that fight, was supposed to win, and got absolutely dominated. Is it risky for Max Holloway? Max has shown to be so skilled that. The only person that could even compete with him has been Alexander Volkanovsky. But there's risk in everything you do. Every time you step inside that octagon, there's risk. But if you find faith in anyone, and I'm taking the the, the whole game off of me and Max going back and forth to each other. That's my boy. <laughs> right. I have faith in Max Holloway in terms of him going out there, getting his hand raised, and earning another shot at the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of DC and RC. Come back tomorrow as we will discuss what's next for the UFC flyweight champion, the bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey. You never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.